You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name's Stuart Goldsmith. Today I am talking to Veer Das, an absolutely global comedian, five Netflix specials under his belt, uh, and I particularly recommend his latest one, Landing, which relates the story of a plane journey at the end of which he faces arrest for bringing his country's name into disrepute. A huge amount to talk about here. We'll talk about Veer's beginnings in Bollywood, the difference that uh, a background in acting makes to comics' approach to authenticity. He's got some really fascinating thoughts on that. Uh, We talk about removing the middlemen between oneself and one's audience and why he doesn't have the luxury of cynicism. This is an absolute banger of an episode with which to return to the podcast after a couple of months off. So thank you for your patience. I hope you've enjoyed the Compendium episodes I've released, uh, ones from the archive that you may have missed. Um, with who did we do? We did Gina Yashere, Shaprak, Course Sandy. We did early Sarah Millican, very early James Acaster, and we did Stuart Lee as well. So I hope that kept the feed alive and in your minds. We are back now with a bang. I am recording and uh, making new eps and uh, prepping them from now on. So welcome back, and what better way to start us off than with Veer Das. Now, you and I have actually, we met very briefly at Montreal a few years ago, but we didn't spend any time together. We didn't hang out. So hello again. Hello again. Was it uh, <laughs> was it as strange for you as it was for me? <laughs> Montreal? Mon- the Montreal experience. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Tell me about your experience of that. Let's let's start with that. That's a kind of, you're such a global comic. That's a kind of an interesting touch point. It's like a global uh, hub for comedy, but in a very particular kind of way. Tell me about your experience of Montreal. I mean, I, uh, to me, it's uh, it's a stop off on a tour now, but it doesn't feel like a festival festival. Like the Fringe feels like a festival. Melbourne feels like a festival. Montreal is just, it's good to catch up with comics. You know, so it feels yeah. very, it, uh, far more industry driven than like, uh, you know, Melbourne or, or the Fringe. But like my favorite place is the Fringe because that's like Disneyland for artists. You can just kind of, you know, see anything from ballet to absurd people crying to comedy to <laughs> drunken theater. And, and Montreal is still very kind of like agents, you know, trying to yes. hang out with comics. Yes, you have is... to go to the kind of like the off Montreal bit. There are rooms mm-hmm. further away with Kurt Brownola doing weird stuff in them. You know what I mean? Okay. There's, like, there's odd yeah. stuff there. But yeah. certainly the hub is is really like everyone has people flocking around them and their people are yeah. working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... Is there a tension between those two things for you? Because you come to, I mean, where you are in your your career right now is you are mm-hmm. stratospheric. You have millions and millions and millions of social followers 
and you have multiple Netflix specials and enormous controversy surrounds you, mm -hmm. which you are, um, which I think you are managing in an extremely impressive way. You are kind of uh, you're responding to it on your own terms, using it yeah. to boost your creativity, but you're doing it on your own terms. You're not kind of generating it for no, you know, oh, you're yeah. not generating it yeah. for its own sake, but you are managing yeah. it's, it's the way that it has been generated. So with that in mind, is there, do you feel that you are kind of pressed into an industry template now, whereby someone in your position has to be at Montreal because there's high level meetings happening with high level people? Like, do you start to feel like a, a, a product as well as a comic? No, I, I, I don't think so. I've, I've, I've never had a high-level meeting in Montreal, to be very honest with you. I've, I've had a, a high-level pastrami sandwich, but never a high-level meeting uh, <laughs> at Montreal. I find, no. I find that hard to believe. I find that hard to believe because, you're, I mean, you're a multiple Netflix guy. We need to accept, I think, that you're a big, successful comic. Like, your, your profile in the UK is not huge, but you are massive. Well, I mean, I, I think the way that I look at it is with success, you kind of get to remove middlemen between you and the audience, you know. Uh, and I find that a lot of, you know, Western careers tend to go in the opposite direction, which is the more successful you get, the more kind of middlemen you get. And there's somebody who holds your cell phone and somebody who gets you a wheatgrass smoothie when you need it, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I found that the best management of my time is to remove the middlemen. So I work with a lot of people, but they don't travel with me. I travel solo still. Um, okay. And uh, if we work together, you should be out finding me more work instead of having drinks with me in Montreal. You know, that's the way that I, uh, I, I kind of look at it. But no, God's been kind, man. I've been able to do three world tours in the last five years. You know, I, I certainly didn't see that coming. And Montreal is one stop. You know, yes. that, that's the way I look at it, honestly. Got it. So where is your... Where And at home is very important to you. I know the concept yeah. of home and you are yeah. an extremely international person. You're raised very internationally yeah. and just kind of schooled all over the world. Where is your home gig? What's the room in which you most feel like you are yourself? I'm in it. If you look behind me, you'll see a bunch of fucking junk. Uh, and, and I'm in Goa in India. And, and my wife and I ran here during the pandemic from Mumbai. I'm a Mumbaiker. I'm, I'm a Mumbai guy. But uh, to me, Goa is... Uh, it's the representation of, uh, of where I feel the most peaceful. It's a dangerous place to call home because you can you can lose your edge writing about the world here. You know, I'm, I'm by a beach and a paddy field and life is extremely chilled over here. So it's hard to keep your pulse on what's happening in Goa. Okay. But this is home, you know, uh, two I dogs and my wife. This is uh, that's home. And what about your your home room, the comedy room in which you feel like that's oh. my that's my comedy home? Ironically, it's the comedy cellar in New York. Like okay. that's where I uh, I feel the most at home. Like that feels like my home club. And then in in Mumbai, there's a place called the Habitat. Uh, and, and then in Goa, I just kind of do these outdoor shows that I really love. Like comics shit on outdoor shows a lot. But during the pandemic, I started doing this thing called Ten on Ten, where I just uh, you know I, I wanted to do ten stand-up videos about the world that hopefully you know th that were unapologetically impersonal you know uh, okay. where a lot of comedy specials tend to be about me and my life and stories etc i'm like no can i clinically write about the world mm -hmm. right and so i i think the first episode was religion versus comedy the second episode was freedom of speech then it was cancel culture and tribalism 
death and uh, privilege you know so mm-hmm. uh, you know thematically about the world and to to shoot them i would just i'd grab a speaker and a microphone and trek up a forest you know up a hill and we shoot these damn things at 3 pm in the sunlight with like 50 people you know and uh, i love that you know that format of comedy because anybody who wants to be at a comedy show at 3 pm without air conditioning outdoors baking truly loves the art form and it makes yeah, for a yeah. great visual kind of mini special as well sure. so in goa i'm just able to set up shows in like a forest and do that oh, and man, you know i'll take your cell phone that does sound pretty it's, great it's, <laughs> it's a safe zone you know you grab a beer you sit on a hillside and somebody does stand up yes yes and there is something is there something about sitting on a hillside in front of 50 people that has a kind of archetypal quality to it because i yeah, think some like of the, cult, the man you know well it, it is I, okay let's yeah. let's be less let's be less diplomatic yeah. and call it a yeah. cult tell yeah. me about the the things that that satisfies in you I, i'm able to push it and push it a lot more i'm able to push it more than i would be able to push it on a popular platform i'm able to push it more than i would be able to push it in a club as well you know there's no cell phone network you are just as exhausted as i am and there's a feeling of kind of uh, you almost have to be more human in that setting you know i'm not doing what russell brand is doing like we're not meditating and hugging and doing all of that stuff etc you know we're just doing stand up but uh, it does require more empathy and more humanity you know and more honesty is there some aspect you talked about there being no phone signal it's strange yeah. to think how much how much that would change the freedom of a comic particularly one such as yourself who has yeah. i mean it's not that you've courted controversy so much as like been been hit in yeah. hit yeah, over yeah. the head with the shovel of uh, <laughs> yeah. you know controversy yeah. and we'll yeah. get we'll get into that but um does that it's almost like that must be like what it was like during the 80s Do you know what I mean well, that you could just say with stuff with stereotypical people... Indian accents and yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, you, you know. <laughs> <For sure>. uh, <laughs> but I think so. But but I also think what this audience brings to the table that the audience in the 80s didn't is I, I don't think there's ever been a more politically aware, socially conscious audience and a louder audience in terms of the audience realizes that they have a vo- uh, they have a voice and I now have to honor that voice. You know, in the 80s it was like. Hey, I'm uh, I'm on to the next city tomorrow night and if you like my jokes, thank you and if you didn't like my jokes, don't come back next time. Right? Mm-hmm. But I think now there's this sort of oh, the show's done but this isn't the end of the conversation. We have yes. something to say to you too. Uh and yes. you have to honor that because we came to the show. You know? I think I think that I totally agree and I think that um that principle of honoring the voice of the audience yeah. underpins all of your work. Like I think it is, it is a conversation, and I think that's something that must have grown rather than, I guess you didn't start off like that as a comic. Well, I think it also comes from not purely being a comic. I think if you work in the Hindi film industry, um, that's the basis of the entire industry. You know, to be able to make Hindi movies or Indian movies is a responsibility. You have to view it that way. You know, where um, a movie for for my family and me when I was growing up. we got one sunday together and we got 3 hours together you know and the one thing we did together the only thing we did together in a week was go out and see a bollywood movie that's what a family gets you know 98% of indian families so you view that creative process with a really large responsibility where you have to deliver 
escapism and joy and I have to send you home flying on a cloud and give you every kind of experience. Uh, and it almost has to be a magnanimous creative experience, you know. And so I, I think if you spend time in in that kind of an environment and then get to doing stand-up, you view your stand-up in the same way, where I do have a policy, which is if you come for my show, I'm sending you home flying on a goddamn cloud. Like, that's my responsibility, you know? Yes. That's, it's that. So talk to me about the development of that principle throughout your work. I saw a, I've seen, like, I've watched Landing, which I think is yes. an incredible piece of work. And the, the, craft, the craft of that is, is fascinating. Um, I also like to go back and what's the earliest bit of Veerdas I can find online? So there's a clip <laughs> oh, of you boy. from like 13 years ago, or it was ouch. posted 13 years ago. Yeah. Well, I yeah. was interested in this. I, I, yeah. I can imagine you saying, ouch, it's not yeah. bad stand up. It's light as hell, right? It's some stuff yeah. about weddings. Um, yeah. And uh, talk to me about that, because at that time, obviously, you've you you've had the experience of. Um, well, had you were you acting at that stage? Well, 13 years ago, no. I, I, I think okay. my first kind of Hindi movie that I did was 2009, 2010. Okay. So it's not been that long. Okay. But it has been 13 years, if you think about it. But it, it didn't come out until 2013. So it's been about 10 years. So in gotcha. the clip that you saw, um, no, haven't done a movie yet. Still trying to break in. Absolutely know? fascinating to see the Virdas of Landed. Uh, landing <laughs> compared to that is a lot like a long time ago and it looks yeah, it looks like vhs kind of quality yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. but but it's yeah. really interesting if you were to go back and look at that and kind of imagine the comic you were then and the things that were important to you the principles that were important to you then obviously in an early part of every comics career you've got to survive that's the thing yeah. you have to get laughs you have to make money you have to continue to the next day but what were the other things like what are you a completely different comic now to who you were then what well, I'm doing my, my, my career in reverse almost, you know, like I, I've just found the clubs like six or seven years ago. Like back then there were no clubs in India. So mm. I had to book a theater, which was 400 or 500 people myself. And then I had to write a new 90 minute show. So I was doing 90 minutes of new material for 400 people, you know. So you're basically just screaming the whole goddamn show, hoping something hits, you know, zero <laughs> dynamic, zero craft. You're just trying to get through the damn thing. Right? Okay. And then like six or seven years ago, when I started working abroad and the Indian scene kind of picked up, I was like, oh, now I get to do this in five minute chunks, go to the club, get it right, add them together, find a theme, etc. So okay, okay. for the first, I think five hours of stand up that I wrote, it was literally new material for 500 people the first time I did it. That clip, though, I don't like presumably that that the material had polish it doesn't look like new material it looks like it this might is, have this been the put fifth together or the sixth written, time you know. i did it really yeah yeah oh my god how did you even remember 90 minutes worth of new gear uh it's uh there's cue sheets all over the floor that are not in, <laughs> in, in frame you know so so that's how i did it i had cheat sheets everywhere oh that's astonishing okay yeah. and and i think you know the material then had polish and you clearly yeah. have polish as a performer um mm. and i Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the kind of the the um, the well, I don't I don't mean journey, but the development of that polish, because one of the things I'm fascinated with your work is that the audience responds enormously to your authenticity and they believe that you mean the things you say. Yeah. And I'm interested in the dynamic between that and how polished and crafted and positioned all the performances like how do you maintain authenticity whilst everything is just so well 
I, I think at, at, at a certain level, maybe coming into stand-up from drama school, of, of you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or balancing stand-up with film helps a little bit in that you're not projecting authenticity, you're conjuring authenticity, you know. Oh, on, what's, uh, I, I think I understand what you mean, but just unpack that a little bit for me. I think a lot of times comedian will uh, comedians will write things from an authentic p- uh, place in their heart, but then when they start playing for crowds of a certain size, you're trying to hit the third level balcony and you end up kind of uh, manufacturing or replicating authenticity that you felt the first time you did it in the club. But I think if you're secure to be on stage because you've done enough theater, you've been in front of camera, you're able to access enough emotion to conjure that emotion, to access that emotion genuinely and trust that your projection will find the right tone, you know. I, I think it's something that you learn when you do stand-up specials as well. You know, I, I was telling somebody else about this. You know, a special is a piece of cinema, you know, and the camera is really close at certain points in the special. So the most tragic thing is to see a comedian being filmed in a stand-up special, but he's talking like this the entire time and trying to hit the back of the room when the camera's really up close and it's a close-up shot, Right. That is uh, and such can, a good point. I never even thought of that. That's such a good point, of course. You know, and, and you can tell that he's not feeling it. He's projecting it. He or she is not feeling it, but projecting it. So I think if, if you spend enough time doing a little bit of theater or a little bit of just acting work, you're okay to feel it while you project it. And that makes 2% of a difference, but it's a big difference, you know? Yes. Is there, can it go too far the other way? Can Can stand-up comics be... Like because obviously the big difference between yeah. what stand-up comedy is and, and what uh, what an actor is, um, sometimes I feel like I see stand-ups and I think they need to unlearn some of the acting skills because actually they're not being raw. Well, I think in that case the audience will let you know, right? They'll slap you around a little bit. Like if if you're up there doing like a monologue or if you're up there doing um, a very internalized piece that they don't connect to, mm. they're gonna let you know. You know, the one, the, the lovely thing about our profession is it doesn't matter how famous you are. You know, if, if you don't make an audience laugh, they will let you know in under two minutes, right? Fame buys you two minutes of grace time. And then they're mm-hmm. like, all right, now what? Make me laugh, right? So they will slap you around, I think, if, if it's too indulgent. Like my, um, I, I've certainly fallen prey to phases in my stand-up career where, where I think a lot of comics go through that phase where... 45 minutes into your hour, you lay it on them and you tell them how you feel about the world, right? Um, on, on landing, for instance, the, the rule that I had for myself is I will never have a pause that is more than eight seconds. I'll have a pause for sure. And it, I, I will make you uncomfortable because I intend to in, in, a, in a one hour piece. There should be some discomfort. But if I ever make you uncomfortable, it'll be for eight seconds and there better be a big goddamn laugh right around the corner and it be- better be silly as hell. You know, so in the show, there's a, a silence around suicide or thoughts of suicide and it immediately goes to a ridiculous sort of three accent routine. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, or there's a, you know, there are bits around like patriotism, which are slightly preachy, but it immediately goes to like an Aziz Ansari, Hasan Minaj joke. You know, so yeah. I, I kind of tried to craft it in that sense. But I think maybe five or six years ago, I'd have just gone with the bit and like gone on from there. You know, and 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 what would have been the what would have been the downside of that five or six years ago? I don't know. Like I, uh, as I do this, I'm 
more conscious of economy of words and laughs per minute i want to hit a few you know I, I, it was important to me to have a special that was authentic and was genuine and was emotional but had laughs you know had a laugh every 8 seconds or 10 seconds you know uh, craft as, uh, if you would you know yeah So this is Veer. Thank you so much to him for coming along. I'm having a whale of a time during this episode. Uh, he's a busy man. We only had enough time for everything that you've got. I didn't want to trim anything out and finagle it into an extra seven minutes for the Insiders feed. Of course, if you are a member of the Insiders Club, you can get ad-free episodes as well as extras from every episode that has them, plus some other special bits and bobs by signing up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Couple of quick things couple of shows coming up. If you go to stuartgoldsmith.com, you can find a link there uh, to all of my live work. You can also follow my socials uh, at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy on, uh, what are we doing, TikTok and uh, Reels. That's Instagram Reels. Um, and you can follow at ComComPod on Twitter. All of those places will lead you towards my link tree, which is a lovely little nested clever thing online that tells you everything I'm doing, which includes uh, 4th of March. If you hear this in time, I am moderating a conversation with Craig Robinson from The Office, and uh, you'll know him from The American Office, and you'll know him as the Pontiac Bandit from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Cannot wait for that. That's at Just for Last London. It's close to selling out, but jump in there if you can. On the 8th of March, I'm doing uh, some work in progress at Vault Fest festival in london and also work in progress uh, at top secret comedy on the 18th of march those are some bits and bobs that are coming up soon thank you to everybody that uh, i'm gonna say tuned in because i'm a hundred years old to see i need you alive we had the worldwide premiere i mean it's last night as i'm recording this um it came out on the 23rd of february there was a moment online i watched it i was in the chat everyone was in the chat with me during the show i was worried i was over engaging and taking away from the special but it all came good and i'm so proud of it i'm so thrilled that people came to see it it is currently available as you hear this still on moment and you can find that link at stuartgoldsmith.com so just oh just thanks i might post amber at you in a bit i was just really knocked out it just looked God, mwah, sumptuous but enough about me Let's get back to Vedas. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Let's talk about the, the content of the special because sure. it, is, it is such um, it's such a statement. 
especially such a statement and it's a reaction to a thing that mm-hmm. happened. Can you just give us in your words kind of I, I don't want to give away too much. The payoff at the okay. end is mm-hmm. fantastic. I want people to be able to see that fresh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, there's a, I've got a question about that, but I might have to ask that in a minute and then keep it for the, you know, <laughs> separate yeah, yeah, content. Yeah. I said red button content. Um, but let's can you just give us this kind of the 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 the, the blurb you know the, oh, the short sure. paragraph of what what the show is a reaction to don't worry i have a good blurb and it's the oh, blurb you must by now you yeah, must yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's a blurb that i've designed to avoid getting myself in another news cycle so this so is it uh, this is what i right? this is i run this the is, risk of going well you said this and you're like i didn't please don't say that <laughs> yeah yeah so i this is uh, as much as I can say about it without uh, sort of, you know, uh, sending myself up shit creek again. But I was at the Kennedy Center and I ended up doing a YouTube video. And it was one of many YouTube videos in that vein. And it was a YouTube video about the, the duality of my nation and the need to remember the light. And it went well, went up on my YouTube channel and for about 72 hours, you know, it, it was fine. And it was something that I'd written last minute, it was just kind of like a piece and I had a a piece of paper in my hand, it was very kind of raw. And then I think we all have the angry news channel in our country, you know, and uh, and we certainly have one here and they picked it up. And an angry news channel led to a lot of outrage and some very angry complaints that were filed against me. And uh, I kind of had to go underground, you know, for a good 45 days. And you, you deal with Many things in a period like that, you know, your number one is to just kind of make sure that everybody around you is okay, but you deal with the the fact that you may have let people down or disappointed them, and you feel shame and guilt and anger and all of these things at once. And I think in that moment, I discovered truly what it means to have the job that I do, to be a comic, because... uh, I remember shortly after that happened to me, I think the the Oscars happened, you know, and, and I saw what happened mm-hmm. to Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen a couple of other sort of, you know, people who were noteworthy go through something like that. And I remember him just saying, I'm a comic. If you want to hear me talk about it, come see my new special. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just kind of knew that I wasn't going to talk about it on the news, even though I had every, I think, major outlet in the world calling me at that point. I wasn't going to write a piece about it. I was going to do a show and I was going to pivot it into something that brought people joy and try and kind of control my narrative and and let my work speak for me. And so I just kind of, it happened in November. I went underground and I kind of, I was okay by, you know, December, January, everything had kind of gone away. I outrode the news cycle, which was about six or seven days. And then I think in March, I I wrote my first joke and uh, and I agonized over that first joke, you know, because it had to be a joke that I was like, oh, shit, I have to make both sides laugh. You know, whether you, you loved my content or whether you hated my content, I have to make both sides laugh. And I have to write a joke that doesn't lionize me and doesn't victimize me either doesn't paint me as either one of those things. So uh, I think the first joke that I wrote was, uh, I was on the homepage of the BBC. The BBC. <laughs> yeah, I made a note of this one to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was on the homepage of the BBC. The BBC had a big headline that said, Comedian polarizes the nation. Do you know how badly you have to fuck up before the British say that you divided India? Right? And, and so <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a decent tone for what could be a special. 
you know, in terms mm-hmm. of it acknowledges a fuck up. It can hopefully make both sides laugh and we can have a sense of humor about drama and uh, pivot that. And so then I wrote a show and, and I was able to do 183 performances of that show this year. And, you know, something extremely dramatic and scary ended up being something that brought millions of people joy, you know. So that I'm I'm slightly proud of. You know? Yeah, well, you. I mean, of course, of course, you should be. I, I'm interested in what you said there. Well, I'm interested in a lot of that. What you said about controlling the narrative, yeah. riding out the news cycle. These yeah. are really shrewd decisions. So they're yeah. not simply I don't get the impression that you are Johnny Comedian sitting in a cafe, scratching your head, going, oh, Christ, how am I going to cope with this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, this is some pretty smart um, mm-hmm. media uh, like, have you received any kind of media training? Did you get advice on how to do this beyond that? Obviously, there's that notion of, hey, well, Chris Rock said, come and see my show. That mm-hmm. kind of distills it nicely. Yeah. But were you getting good advice on what to do? Because it seems like you played it exactly correctly. I I have good people around me, but I've also been in the film industry for 14 years. You know, it's not my first rodeo. You learn these things. You know, my my lawyer was very clear with me. She's She's amazing. You know, Priyanka, I think, is probably the best in the business. But she was like, a news cycle is seven days. Like, a really large news cycle is seven days. And she's like, if you're done before seven days, you're going to be okay. And if you're still around for, uh, after eight days, you're fucked. <laughs> right? and, and, oh, I see. If your news cycle continues yeah. past seven days, that's past okay. Seven days, right? <laughs> but she's like, for, for seven days, just shut up, please. Don't that's react. It. You know, don't because scream into the void. Just people want of, to react. They feel yeah. hurt. They feel attacked. And they of want course, to go, but, but, but wait. And that's, a, and that's a misstep, I guess. But, I, you know, I wasn't even coming from a place of anger. Like, I, I was coming from a place of guilt and shame. I'm like, oh, my God, I let people down. And I feel bad, you know, whether I intended to or not, or whether you feel like I did or not, right? The, my rule as an artist is very simple. You will critique my work. I will never critique my work. That's your honor. That's not mine, you know? Um, so however you feel about any piece of content I put out is valid. I have to respect your feeling, right? Um, yeah. And uh, and never defend or explain or do any of that shit. So I just kind of shut up. And I'm like, the first thing I say has to be a joke. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't been on a news debate, by the way, or like a news panel or in maybe five or six years. You know, five or six years ago, I just kind of said... I, I have a large enough audience outside of these mainstream outlets. Like, I I can just do shit on my own, you know, and, yes. and get my message out there. I don't need to uh, go on the news every now and then just to say hi or to, to maintain relevance or, you know. So I, I'd stopped doing that a long time ago anyway. And most news outlets knew that. So they were like, he never comes on the news. He never does debates. He never does anything. So... In that sense, that's the training that I have. I have a really good lawyer and I have a profession where I'm allowed to address it through jokes. You know, if yes. I was just an actor, my God, I can't imagine, that <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That, again, that's fascinating. I was smiling as you were talking about um, it's, you know, I have a rule that I never critique my work. That's yeah. your honor. That's up to you. Again, yeah. it's just so shrewd. Like, I don't disagree with that at all. But yeah. what a smart sentiment and what a smart way of putting it. And you seem really you, you seem to have grown both a kind of a bulletproof sentiment 
and a bulletproof means of expressing it. It's really impressive. Well, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to him, but, you know, Scorsese, for instance, it, uh, uh, when he made The Departed, apparently had a completely different intention for the movie, right? Okay, okay. And, uh, and a lot of people found The Departed funny, right? And, and, and I think the... the I think it was adapted from a Korean movie, maybe, right? And yeah, yeah, I think so. Th that was a darker, edgier movie, which is, I think, what he wanted to make. But it, it just ended up being slightly comedic because of uh, Jack Nicholson's portrayal and a couple and of things. And the rat at the things. end. I remember you know, laughing at the rat, are you sure? <laughs> right? And so everybody was coming to him going, this shit is hilarious, right? Now, at that point, he's not going to go screaming into the wind, just being like, no, man, I never intended to make a comedy. What I intended was blah, 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 blah. He's like, I guess I made a comedy. You know, if you feel like I made a comedy, then I made a comedy. You know, it's art. Mm -hmm. uh, it only exists as your interpretation of it. You know, yes. it's arrogant of, of me to say that you got it right or that you got it wrong. And I do believe that. I, it's a very attractive uh, uh, thing to believe. I think uh, I, I absolutely see the benefit of that. Does that, does that help you? Does that benefit your mental health? Because you're able it, to check out of that process completely. Oh fuck no! It it it, it, it uh, you know it, it it messes with your mental health because there's no point feeling that way or adopting that policy if you don't honor both sides of the opinion. Mm -hmm. Right at the end of the day, it's much easier mm -hmm. to just go, "I'm fabulous. Here's what I intended to say. If you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, you don't get it. That's easy. But to be like, okay, you are valid and you are valid too, and there's something to be learned from what both of you are saying." That's tougher. That's a tougher road to go down. Yes, yes, it really you know? is, and it's a it's a route that that very few people go down because, um, you know, infl inflammatory statements sell and boost arguments boost the algorithm and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I suppose you've got enough algorithm boosting going on now. You know, it's enough yeah. of a <laughs> an audience. And I just want to just ask you one one just to pick up on something you said about. You had a. This is the two Indias. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a poem. I think you should have introduced it as. Is it a poem I don't know or is what it? It is, man. Like honestly. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, it's, I, I mean, it's funny. You know, There's jokes in it. It isn't yeah. a stand-up routine. No, it's not. You know, no. news outlets refer to it as he did a routine or something. Yeah. It's a very, very powerful piece. You shot it at the Kennedy Center, and it's yeah. professionally shot. So I'm just querying oh, that way, notion. By the way, no. Uh, no? If, if you want the the God's Honest Truth, I wrote it at 4 p.m. And uh, the show was at 8. And I kind of went to my wife and I'm like, should, should I do this after the show? And she's like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what would go wrong? And I'm like, we need a camera. And so we found a wedding photographer on Yelp who was okay. unemployed on a Sunday. Okay. And we paid him 200 bucks to show up. That's hilarious. He That's hilarious. So, I really want it because my question was going to be, you said I ended up doing this thing after the fact, because I guess of the reaction to it and yeah. the fact that, you know, like you didn't just do it. You did think, hey, I'll I'll find a wedding photographer on Yelp. You thought it'll be worth taping. There's no point yeah. not taping this, you know. So there is a certain amount of planning, even if it was no matter how much of an afterthought it was. Yeah. It's extraordinary, is it not, to look back at it and go, that was a kind of career defining moment. I mean, you already had a career that it didn't make your career, but it launched you into a, a whole other the next stage. I I don't know. I, I don't think you get to predict when you create a conversation. And I think if you try and 
orchestrate when you create a conversation you go insane you'll never succeed at it these things just kind of happen right um what i do know it's done for me if i really look at it it's whoever's coming in the door to see me now is coming in slightly more emotionally invested that's the best way that i can describe it you know so uh, it was earlier it was uh, hey man you're going to make us laugh now do your job and mm-hmm. now it's a little bit of hey man it's good to see you i'm glad you're okay now make us laugh you know mm-hmm. it's created that mm-hmm. so uh, it, uh, and maybe that means i can take some more liberties with you or share a little bit of myself with you like landing i've never put myself out there in a special before like really really put myself out there like how i felt about stuff um uh, or at least how i was feeling internally and and i was able to do a little bit of that because i think of the you know uh, the relationship that that formed but that's it beyond that i i don't read too much into it because you have to keep in mind people have very short memories and uh, yeah. you know uh, sorry there's something moving in the background of my i don't there's a rat or something here but anyway uh, <laughs> people have very short memories and people have shit to do you know so i i don't think it's uh, anything more than that so yeah i think i just heard something bark but you did say that's you had to dog so i'm going to assume that's not the yeah, rat you mentioned i'm, I'm, I'm going to let go in right now yeah <laughs> yeah when you with something i'm really fascinated by is the like i love these moments that i get to enjoy yeah. in a podcast thing where earlier this week i saw your standing ovation of your sort of immaculate most recent netflix special and now yeah. i get to talk to you in a t-shirt in yeah. your house you know that's that's a, i'm really grateful by um, the way while we're on it just toughest standing like strangest standing ovation i've ever gotten uh, <laughs> i'll tell you why because i'm i'm still on my knees when yeah. they stand up right and that had never happened before i'd done 180 shows right and how it always went down was i mean i never had that much sand in that that particular set but every time i'd end the show I'd be like thank you so much i always end by saying love and respect my name is veer das and then when i would stand up and put the mic back in the socket then they would stand up as as i would bow if they chose to stand up at the time and here i was just like kind of on my knees still and they stood up and i was just like should i hang out here <laughs> should i stand too so if you watch the edit there's a there's a moment where i just kind of sit back down on my knees and kind of breathe out uh and and it looks very emotional i think because of the music but i'm literally looking at my people in the wings going what the fuck do i do <laughs> you know uh so yeah that's kind it's, of what's on camera do you do you think that there is You know the way that when you some comic some fav, very famous comics when they run in new material they'll try and go to a room where they're not known because yeah. otherwise the audience will agree with them too much for yeah. them to get a read on the on the material. Yeah. There are many moments in your show when people there's, there's big laughs and there yeah. are big applause breaks as well. Mm-hmm. And I know from I mean I know you know I know from an element of the ending I think without spoiling anything that yeah. idea that you say go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. I know how well it is put together and designed and crafted and presumably yeah. you have a sense of they'll laugh now and they'll clap now. Do you see what I mean? I uh yes but I'm constantly surprised as well. I I did have to take it to you know for instance I did I did the entire run at Edinburgh. Right now Edinburgh is is a lovely festival to do because there aren't that many indian people in scotland in general in edinburgh especially so i think i was doing like a 100 seater and we packed up every night but um 
maybe 20 Indians a night, you know, okay. of, of the 100 or of the 80 that came in. So those are just festival goers that had caught buzz on the show. <laughs> I'm so but, I'm, I'm so just I know the Edinburgh Festival so intimately. It yeah. is hilarious to me, as I'm sure it is to you. Yeah. That you have 12 million followers and you're doing 100 seats in Edinburgh yeah, and 80 percent of them don't know who you are. <laughs> and yeah. They just wandered in and they might be drunk and heckling. And all. yeah, sure. That yeah. is such a funny image to me. <laughs> so uh, but that's good prep, right, for what works globally or what doesn't work globally. So in, in uh, or at the cellar every night, I workshopped a heavy amount of this show at the Comedy Cellar in New York, which is why it's in the end credits as well. Um, but I think for me, you know, and, and I think we can talk about it at this point, The you know, the, there's a rule in the special where every time I make fun of India, I have to be on, on sand, and every time I make fun of America, I have to be on glass. And mm-hmm. so the footwork of the special was really tough to pull off because that, that mm-hmm. was like a ballet routine where to yeah. time words to feet. Um, and then I had to kind of write it accordingly as well. Yes. I mean, there is there is a moment about 30 minutes in where obviously the first time I'm watching it, I yeah. am watching this edit, this finished version. I don't know the significance of what's going on on the floor. Yeah. 30 minutes in, I made a note. It says you did a joke about teachers and teachers, how teachers pay. The punchline is the teachers. You don't need to slap a teacher. Teachers pay yeah. already slaps them. And it cuts to a shot, which if you don't know about the significance of the sand, (laughs) is a shot of your expensive trainers. And I was watching it going, what are you trying to say to us here? Teachers don't get paid, but check out my expensive shoes. (laughs) I was so So, relieved at the end. Oh, that's what that must have been. (laughs) So it's based on a a YouTube clip, which is basically the prestige, right? It's by Michael Caine is explaining to this little girl uh, and he has a sparrow in a cage, right? And he's like, there's three parts to a magic trick. Um, There's the pledge, there's the turn, and then there's the prestige, right? And so the pledge is they show you an object, right? And uh, the turn is that object has sudden significance. And then there'll be misdirection and you'll bring the object back. And so four times in the special, I cut to shots of these shoes and the shoes are misdirection for the sand. The Mm -hmm. sand is the magic trick. Mm -hmm. But... It's to get you thinking about the shoes and wondering yeah. about the shoes. So it's very yeah. jarring in the edit to just suddenly go to a shot of the shoe. Uh, and if you <laughs> don't is, watch the you know, watch it, the end of the special, you'll be like, this fucking asshole uh, keeps showing me his shoes, right? Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. I'm really, I'm fascinated. I'm pleased to know you recognize that because it yeah. is, it's such a deliberate decision. And that's what I mean about how crafted the 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 special is it's so you know i mean that the 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 tension between the authenticity and you revealing your genuine self and yeah. doing so within a show which has qualities in common with a magic trick you yeah. know i mean it's it has to be this must happen there and there and there and there yeah but also we get a sense of the real you um what, i lost the thread of the question i was going to ask you earlier it probably doesn't matter um oh i was going to say when you oh this is before I was yeah. kind of setting up the idea that like I've mm-hmm. seen you in this immaculate show and now I'm seeing you in a in a sweater in your house. Um, yeah. Do you find when you like are you able as a kind of profile kind of worldwide comic are you able to separate the re- the reality of the personalities of the people around you the other comics who share your kind of level mm-hmm. are you able to separate the reality of them as people from their brand? in the way that you recognize in yourself. There's there's the brand of you, which I've experienced up until this point, and then there's actual Veer. 
And, you know, you and me can look at each other as comics and go, oh, you know what it's like. You tell a joke, yeah, they laugh. Yeah. It's just that. It's just that in a bigger room. And I do have a sense of that. But because I'm not playing, you know, some rooms yeah. of that size, I can only sort of see that sense from the outside and go, yeah, I guess it's like that for everyone. You turn up, you know, is there a do you see comics who start to believe their own brand more than the, the visceral experience of comic and audience? I definitely, I, I think there's there's uh, wisdom to follow and serious cautionary tales out there, you know, uh, in terms of other comics. But they influence me in terms of, um, like, you know, one of the decisions that I took, this is my fourth special, but I was like, I never want to be the comic who's doing fancier suit, bigger stadium, right, for his next special. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the comics that I love, I've seen them go down that journey and then have nowhere to go, right? So <laughs> yeah, look, suits can only get so fancy, right? And then what? Right, and, yeah. and stadiums can only get so big, right? <laughs> but uh, if you look at four of my specials, they're thematically very different specials. You can actually mm-hmm. watch them back to back. You know, uh, a broad understanding was shot in a tiny club in America in a big stadium. Losing it is a proper American stand-up special. Veer Das for India has nothing to do with America whatsoever. It's me sitting on a doorstep talking the doorstep about my country. Is lovely. That set is absolutely wonderful. Right? Yeah. Um, and then this one is a very specific show about sand and home and all of that stuff. So, you know, they're, they're kind of like pieces of theater almost that are slightly different, you know. Mm-hmm. So a decision like that is heavily influenced by watching a lot of comics do three or four specials and mm-hmm. saying, okay, that's either a road I want to go down or a road I don't want to go down. Um and then, you know, you you watch like a, a George Carlin documentary, for instance, you know, which, which like Judd Apatow did. And you, they chronicle that man's evolution, right? From uh, being wacky radio guy to something else, to something else. And how at every stage of his evolution, he didn't judge it. And he didn't hold it back. He just kind of went with it. And like, he's like, okay, I guess this is who I am right now. And I don't have to decide whether this is who I'm going to be for a long time. It's just who I am right now. And like, I resonate with that instinct as well, where I'm, I may not be this guy two years from now, you know, like landing was a particularly uh, patriotic show. And and right now I'm, I'm thinking, can I write a show where it's in a club and nobody can breathe? Because there's so many jokes. It's so heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just kind of writing, diff- you know, you, to trust that you will evolve. Because I'm only, I'm 16 years in. And, and if you think about it, as comics, we know that's not a long time. Mm-hmm. You know? I think that's really fascinating. I think if we follow the idea of, um, I mean, it, it, just, to, just to pause on, on the idea of Carlin for a moment, mm-hmm. there's a lot of comics a lot of comments, forgive me, mm-hmm. there's a lot of comments under a lot of your stuff on YouTube, yeah. which are to do with, wow, this guy's like a philosopher that stops every so often for a joke, you know, and there's yeah. a lot of kind yeah. of Carlin, uh, you know, fans going, oh, this is kind of like he has that, he's aiming for or achieving that quality that Carlin has. So, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's clear that, that's, that he's a touchstone for you. Um, uh, well, I mean, you know, he is a touchstone, but, but I think also he... I, uh, <laughs> he is able to do what he was able to do with growing up and evolving in an ecosystem that really never got in his way. 
Do you know what I mean? Or, or, or never really came down on him uh, okay. in, in that sense. And so he was able to push it so much further. You know, uh, I'd never put myself in that because I, I'll never be able to push it as much as he has. You know, just kind of because being in why? the ecos. Just because of, you know, who I am and how I've been brought up and my ethos as well. And, you know, I've, uh, I'm a very emotional artist and I don't think George Carlin was a very emotional artist. You know, yeah. I'm uh, uh, so... I don't know. And, and I, also, I, it's also the social media ecosystem whereby, you know, his family weren't getting death threats. Yeah. Like, but, you, but you've also, got people you've got to look after, you know? Yeah, but I don't have the luxury of cynicism either. You know what I mean? I, I think it's, I think if you, if you follow some of his later work, it became very cynical where it was like, oh, humanity is an experiment that I'm fucking done with, you know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, you all deserve to die. That kind of became the tone of, uh, or you deserve whatever's happening to you. No, I'm, I'm. I feel far more optimistic about the world. I don't have the luxury of cynicism. You know. The luxury of cynicism. Good. Uh, that's yeah. That's that's really interesting. I want to know about what you. If we're looking at this um this dynamic um of or the line of you can't keep getting a fancier suit in a bigger stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're on a line of like, what do you? Each time you change it, it becomes, you know, you're happy to see where it goes next in that Carlin way. Like, I'm going to do this 100 percent and then I'm open to the possibilities that happen next. Where do you see yourself if you're I mean, you mentioned not not going down the Russell Brand route of (laughs) meditating together and hugging. But presumably you are at a stage in your career where anything is possible. I just and I think really I think from this, your man. mentality, I think from your mentality, you probably have always felt like you're at a stage in your career where anything's possible. But now <laughs> you have so much support and you can, I imagine, if you said to Mr. and Mrs. Netflix, OK, for my next special, it's going to be me on a raft in the middle of the ocean. They'd be like, sure, Vidas, we'll do whatever you want. <laughs> do you I, know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I, I, I want to get really good at this. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I, I feel like I, uh, I've got catching up to do. I feel like I'm still at base camp and I haven't started to climb yet. I want to go where the best comics in the world are and see if I can compete at their level. Like I want to play tennis with people who are better than I am in every country in the world and see if I can get better. So I just really want to get amazing at this. And and I don't know what that tangibly entails, but that's the goal. Okay. How will you know when you've done enough? define enough man like i've worked really hard to be this exhausted you know what i mean like i uh, <laughs> uh you know like I, i'm uh it's surreal like i, I was telling a comic this like I, I think it was perth maybe or like canberra or something like that i've never been able to play those australian cities before like adelaide or perth or canberra i don't i'd always done sydney or melbourne and then i was in some some dodgy theater in like I think it was Canberra, Perth. And b- before I showed up, they had like like a really bad flex with my face on it. And they had roped it to the wall of the theater. And it was just kind of flapping in the wind. You know, <laughs> like, you know, one of those like one horse downs where the circus comes through town. And, and, mm-hmm. and I just remember looking at it just going, it's so fucking surreal that thousands and thousands of miles away, there is a dodgy poster of me flapping in the wind and that interests anyone to come and see me. You know, like, I've I waited for this for a really, really, really long time. So I want to be good for those people, I think. You know. What do you, what do you have to be careful about 
do you do you have to limit yourself about the scope of your ambition or the scope of your ego you know we we talked before we kind of you mentioned obliquely we've seen artists go down the route of yeah. you know getting high on their own supply sort of thing yeah. what, what what are what do you think are the specific booby traps that lie in wait for you um i should never come across as the main character of my story i should come across as the main character of your story or i should make you feel like the main character of your story when you come to my show that's one all right so uh, and is, is, is that put, something that that is a danger that's a, it, you like have you kind of flirted with that before uh, I, i just see it in art and sometimes when you're writing you can be indulgent about that stuff you know and, and so i have to make you feel like like the main character i um i know i can tell a story all right i i know uh, my vocal dynamics are strong my sense of narration is strong i i, I know how to stir up emotion i can do that uh, i feel like my craft is strong enough to do that and if i'm ever relying only on that without humor and decent writing behind it simply on oratory skills i failed as well so that is something to think about for me um i have to uh, even if i'm saying things that are absurd or outrageous they have to come from an authentic place so that's something that i strive for saying can i at least put how i feel on the page and then we'll decide whether it's worth making if we make it to a punchline from there or not but it has to come from an authentic place of feeling and um i have to imbibe enough life where i'm not at a gig talking about my last gig like that's you know that's dangerous as well i have to say yes to enough you know you have to say yeah i i, I understood the first point about not talking about your last gig yeah what do you mean you i have, have to, to i have yes to say to yes to enough life i have to try enough new things i have to talk to enough new people i have to watch enough new shit where we have things in common when you come and see my show you know i i, I never like the oh, i was wait. on my jet you know uh, sure, i i was sure, uh, sure. uh i was in minneapolis last week uh, you know no it has to be Uh, I had this new meal or I tried skydiving or you know uh, we went to dinner or you know I tried uh, adult paint coloring I, I I don't know like I have to say yes to enough new things where yes. you know you can relate to that Yes because you have to make the listener the the audience member the the hero of the story they yes, have to be absolutely. the main character yeah. yeah You must get a certain reaction from politicians who don't understand comedy and you must get a certain reaction <laughs> from comedians who don't understand politics to the extent you do what is the reaction like amongst comedians who do understand where you're coming from politically or do have a sense of the like i don't know what the I, i've never been to india i don't know what the stand up mm-hmm. scene is like there i have the haziest understanding of a lot of it from your work and kind of retconning yeah. punchlines and going oh that must mean this um but like amongst your peers amongst kind of globe trotting indian comics what is the reaction to you amongst them who 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 are you as distinct from the other the other famous indian comics who have a, a profile in around i don't know you know i i think any real comic uh if they appreciate your work will never tell you but they'll give you a tag you know and i think that's the sense of a real comic you know where it's no longer like man you your work means blah 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 it's just like yo with this joke you should like go there or like you okay. should add this to that joke and keep that you know or like this is tight as hell and i have a sort of a 
policy, at least when I'm touring India, where I bring people on stage and anybody who features for me on my show is a headliner. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I'm putting killers before me, just like assassins, you know, who destroy the room and then I have to follow and make my job very, very, very hard. So when you're in a room full of assassins, you know, they're going to be like, you know, they're going to give you some real insight on your material. In, in who, that are your, who are your favorite killers? Who have you had that we that we might know, either American or You, you might know Aditi Mittal. She's a, she's a, an Indian comic and she's amazing. She plays the Fringe a lot as well. I don't know her. I've heard her name, but I've never seen her. Okay. She's amazing. Okay. Killer on stage. Uh, this guy called Neville Shah. Very dark. Um, I think he might be doing Soho soon. Adar Malik is is like an India boy. Sorry, man. I don't know why uh, that wrong. It should have been a silent. Um, who else? I want to say... Just I'll have like three people going on before me and they're all killers, you know, okay. at the end of the day. And and I'll have them do decently long sets and then I have to follow with like 90 minutes. So, yeah. you know, the audience is tired. And, and it depends on also what phase of the show I'm in. You know, if, I, if I'm just workshopping at that moment in time, then, um, you know, then I'll do shorter sets. But we'll see. You know, like right okay. now, I'm going to start booking out like uh, clubs and uh, doing... 30 minutes of material and trying to find another 30 minutes. Um, so I'm just going to be fucking around on stage and uh, I will put v- people who have really polished material before me. So yes. Really yes. And that's, and that's a big part of your process, I guess, to fuck yeah. around on stage and work out yeah. what the next bit is. Yeah. Do you have, when you're doing that, do you like, how long do you let yourself fuck about before you fall back on a bit that you know works? I'll do the bit that I know works first. I'll get it out of the way first. Like that's, you know, if there's one thing you can learn from Louis C.K., you know, it's that where he's like uh, open with your closer, which is really, really good to do. And then you're just kind of dead in the water chasing a laugh, you know, and uh, does that always succeed or do you? I mean, that's a high risk strategy, right? It's a high risk strategy. But, you know, the. Uh, price it so that it doesn't, you know, price it and venue it so it's not a very large crowd and they haven't spent the sun and the moon and 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 be accurate with your publicity of the show where they understand it's a work in progress show and I think most crowds are okay with that stuff. What's your favorite opening line of another comic? Um, George Carlin. Have you ever noticed that most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place? Uh, that's a great, and that was straight out the out the gate uh, on on his fifth or sixth HBO. Oh yeah, because and I, I guess what you're implying there is what you like about that is he opens with a massive like it's not just that the massive. joke is a good joke; it's a massive yeah. topic. Yeah. What's the the opening sentence of Landing is unbelievable. It's like, pretty is pretty good that sentence. With, I, I work hard on that. Like I'm proud of that. Yeah, I really am. It yeah. is a long sentence, and I guess what you're going for is the same thing. That sentence, I can't yeah. remember the sentence, but I, I, the sentence is such a mission statement. Like, strap in. I'm going to talk about some big stuff in a yeah. funny way. It's going to be loquacious and deft and and well yeah. written. And now the sentence is finished. Bang! I think huge it, laugh. It was. Uh, I'm doing stand up in 2022. Anything could happen tonight. I could be arrested, assaulted, stabbed, slapped, or even worse, discussed on Reddit. Uh, and then I and then I think I talk about their world as well. So yeah, yes, it's like I, I go in. Reference. Yeah, 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 right. That's like a big. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, if you had one quality which got you where you are, besides anything in the world of comedy, 
like one quality of your of your mindset or your personality what would it be i'm um i'm not offended by the word no i've heard the word no all my life and uh, i don't take it personally i was uh, i was told i would never be a comic in india because there was no comedy scene uh, i was told i would never be in movies because i was too short to be in movies i was told i would never tour the world because my accent wasn't global enough i was told that uh, america is where the hub of comedy was and that indian comics wouldn't succeed there i've just heard no my entire life every time i've approached something the first answer is usually no and i don't take that personally i just go around it has that been a quality that you have had to learn or is that innate a lot of people when they hear no they get angry and that's where you get entitled acts from they, you get people in your position who mm-hmm. say i fucking kicked down doors to get here and i deserve you know what i mean i deserve yeah. this because there were loads of no's and i beat them but yeah. you seem a lot more kind of uh, philosophical <laughs> about that i know ever since i was a kid i've been pretty tenacious like if i wanted something um you know you may not give it to me and that's fine i'll find a way on my own you know and uh, and wish you well i think that's the way i approach it but does, it's going to happen you know and does the does the world how has the world fit into that has the world like has the world rewarded your tenacity or have there been times when you have had to give up on something like what does a tenacious mindset do when there is a thing that you simply cannot get you you have to learn the value of timing which is that there are certain ideas that just take their time so a no right now doesn't mean a no forever but a no right now doesn't mean you abandon anything like i've i've yet to abandon an idea it'll go back it'll go to the back of the line but it's, it's going to happen you know it's just a matter of time how do you cope with failure uh not well at all uh, i'm harder on myself than um than anybody who recognizes my failure and i am uh the last person to recognize success of anything i've done when other people have quicker than me you know the last so if everybody's like recognize. the response the response is amazing or you know it's a big hit or this and that etc etc i'm the last person to see it or acknowledge it you know so yeah how do you cope with um like how is your mental health do you have long dark nights of the soul are you you seem yeah. very philosophical and very grounded what are some of the tougher times and how do you, how do you cope with those what's 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 the narrative what's the the kind of the core belief that you beat yourself with and how do you cope with that i um i've had to almost be like essentialist with my life and that's the only way i found i'm able to cope with this you know so i've cut out anything that is unnecessary in my life i have six t-shirts i have uh, two pairs of jeans i travel without check-in luggage i travel without an entourage i don't own a house i i live in a rented house in goa i don't have a house in mumbai anymore um i will if my wife's traveling will stay in a nice hotel if she's not i couldn't care less um And those are kinda, mental those are mental health strategies. Absolutely. Yeah, because then yeah. it's it's about being present wherever you are fully. You know, like how many people in their life get to say, "Yo, I saw the world." And and not like in a philosophical kind. Like I literally saw the world. You know, I I went to 29 countries this year. 
if you get to say that you know you owe it to yourself to have been present and have made memories and have seen things with your eyes that you felt with your heart instead of just doing it for the algorithm or for social media things that are uniquely just yours and so if you need to eliminate all the rubbish around you to put yourself in those positions and that's kind of the only way i know how to cope let me write that down and make a meme of your face <laughs> Vidas. <laughs> that's that is really that's really good that's really the clarity of that um and the fact of like when an act starts to get to the level whereby they get given treats and nice hotel yeah. rooms and they get sort of extracted further away from the person they used to be. It's the antithesis of that. Hey guys, oh, my yacht, you know, I can't, yeah, uh, yeah. here's my stand up about my tough life, you know? Um, so actually to stay with that, I think is really laudable and a really exciting thing to hear. Um, who, oh, I've got a, I've got a couple. I don't, I don't want to, no uh, yeah. Okay, complete curveball question. This is a recent fascination of mine and something I'm writing a lot about at the moment is the climate and climate change. Where do you stand on? Where do you, like, are you anxious? How do you feel about the fate of the world? How do you feel about the next 50 years of humanity? I um, am anxious. I'm, I feel good about where my country stands in the scheme of that, you know, in terms of, its contribution to that and its acknowledgement of that. And I'm, um, I wish it was uh, less rhetoric for clout and more quiet action towards it. I feel mm -hmm. like the climate change, you know, discourse is somehow been positioned into a clout discourse as opposed to an action discourse. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But I think, I think, um, yeah, I think any passionately felt thing can be used for clout. You know, people oh, no. can go, oh, there's clout uh, yeah. available on this. I can uh, yeah, piggyback this. I, I, yeah, I feel like 90% of the people that feel passionately about it talk about it less. And the 10% who don't feel very passionately about it talk about it the most. That's interesting. You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, who is the new comedian who asked you for advice that then went on to become the biggest? Oh, shit. Uh... I mean, most legit comics in India right now at some point have, you know, uh, we've gigged together or they've featured and all of that stuff. So I do take a certain sense of pride in that. We've all kind of worked together and we've yeah, shared a green nice. room together. Yeah. Uh, I only ask this of people who are very successful. Why aren't you more successful? Why aren't I more successful? <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep doing these YouTube videos that get me into trouble. No. Uh, <laughs> but like, what do I, you think? Obviously, from the outside perspective, you're this, you know, you're on fire. From your perspective, what I tend to find is that everyone thinks there's a thing that's just out of reach. There's a thing they can't get. And what is it that's in the way of you reaching the next level? I... I don't feel like my sense of humor is global enough yet. Like I haven't, you know, uh, I'm telling a unique Indian story. I have a unique Indian perspective, but I haven't made it global enough yet. I can perform in Norway. Fine. Can I perform in Japan? Can I perform in Russia? Can, can anyone, I, you know, can, can anyone I, I don't know. have, is, I don't know. is there a comic who has a global <laughs> perspective? Like don't, do I? you not sacrifice specificity when you aim for the, that kind of breadth? 
but uh, I, I'm not saying pander to what they want. I think the perfect show meanders between shit you want to see and shit they want to hear, right? Mm-hmm. And I certainly haven't written that show yet. And I'm, I'm sure it can be a uniquely Indian perspective, but I, uh, you know, I haven't seen enough of the world yet. And I want to be able to cater to the whole world. So, yeah. What is the worst piece of advice you were ever given in comedy? The worst piece of advice I've ever been given in comedy was, uh, I want to say, uh, talk about things the audience knows about. Uh, okay. Uh, which I'm like, sure, that's fine, but that's uh, that's very easy. Uh, the real test is, can you talk about things that the audience will then know about at the end of your show, even if okay. they don't know about it? Yes, like an educating, like educating them. Not an educating, just, no. just like, I, I don't know the first thing about Ohio, right? But when I watch a Chappelle routine, I go to Ohio with that guy, right? Uh, I don't know where Eddie Izzard grew up specifically, but when he talks to me about growing up, uh, I go to where Eddie Izzard grew up, you know? Uh, why can't I take you to Mumbai when I perform in Norway? Why can't I, ta- I, I tell you about an Indian ghost that you've never heard about and you will now <laughs> at the end of my show? You know, it's not education, but it is introduction. You know? And finally, mm-hmm. are you happy? Am I happy? Yes, I am happy. I'm, uh, like I said, on my worst day, I get to tell people about it. And sometimes on Netflix, if you're talking about your problem, <laughs> you know, life's all right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm very, very happy. I'm healthy. My mind works and I'm writing jokes. I'm happy. So that was Veer. Thank you so much to him for that incredibly stimulating and intelligent conversation. He's one of those people you just think of as like, oh, he's a real operator. He knows what he's doing. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. Like, I suppose I think of myself as kind of a hustler. I like, I, hustler's probably, a, I mean, God, I'm not a hustler. What am I? I've just got a certain amount of energy. But I like grappling with things. Whereas I think Veer is someone who doesn't seem like he needs to grapple. Do you know what I mean? He's like, a, if I'm, if I'm a kind of, uh, oh God, you certainly can't use hustle anymore post-take, can you? Jeez. But if I'm a kind of street-based trier, like a slogger, like a turn up and think of as many things as you can, uh, Veerdas has swan energy. He's like an operator. He's just like, I've thought about this. I've received some great advice and I'm taking these actions. And you go, oh, and you're actually going to do all those things that you planned. Jeez. So thank you to him for coming along. Really, really enjoyed that show. And uh, thank you to, who do I thank at the end of the episodes? Moz for the logging. Uh, Susie, who's helping me with the book. Uh, thanks to uh, producer Nathan for sorting out all the doobries. And um, uh, and that's kind of the team. The music, of course, was by Rob Smouten. It's been months since I've done one of these. Crikey. Um, I will post Amble at you in just a moment. But for now, it's very nice to be back. And uh, thanks for having me back in your ears. I've been doing a load of other podcast appearances to promote the special, and I've enjoyed every single one of them. So if you have not yet heard me be a secret guest on Chatterbix, look that up. It's a joy of a show and a pleasure to hang out with Joe Wilkinson and David Earle, who I love and never get to see these days. Um, I was also a guest on the Secret Artist podcast for Annie McGrath, drawing my friend Noel. I talked about Noel in some detail on Thank Fuck For That, which is a podcast from Mickey Overman and Sarah Keyworth. That was tremendous fun to do. And on Trusty Hogs with Catherine Bohart and Helen Bauer, I finally achieved a lifelong ambition and gave Helen Bauer a dead leg live in the studio properly hard. So there's a load of context attached to that, which I insist you get to grips with. 
all of those episodes was such fun to do. And I'm really uh, grateful and appreciative for those hosts for having me on. So uh, check those out if you like, and I'll post Amble at you shortly. But for now, bye bye. So post-amble wise, I think the thing I I'm going to save up the thing I was going to say to you before. If you were listening to the Com Compendium last week with Jeannie Yasheray, I referred to this obliquely at the end. But by the time you hear this, I will have had my ADHD referral appointment. Arguably, I mean, it would be it would be more in keeping with my nature to not bring it up um, and uh, and not mention it. Uh, I don't know why I. It's just something about being in this room with you listening that I'm like, no, I'll just continue telling you all the secrets of my life. Um, I'm excited about it. This is the last recording I'll do before having it. And I should probably, because there is every chance that I don't have ADHD. I'm just sort of a dickhead, really. I'm just kind of, you know, what, what's, what's the pat phrase I say to myself? I'm just a kind of a, a scatty, confused workaholic who's sort of firing off in all directions, so to speak. So if what I should do is I realised I, I realised in the Gina uh, end blurbs, which I recorded a few hours ago, there's a, a peep underneath the ladybird's gauze meaningless um uh i realized that if i turn out to not have adhd and instead just to be annoying then i'll probably never mention it again so why don't i set up by way of protecting my inner self and respecting respecting and protecting inner stew why don't i just announce now that i'm not going to talk about adhd anymore and then never tell you. That would be better, wouldn't it? That would be more in keeping with my um, uh, principles. And uh, it would be, let's face it, completely impossible to stick to. But let's assume no further news. Thanks for all your support at this interesting time. And thank you to those of you who know about ADHD or have it or have along the way um, got in touch with me and said, look, I never do this, but uh, I diagnose people. And you've clearly got no one said that. But um, people have sort of approached that in a roundabout way. That chat is coming up next week. So the next time I speak to you, I will have had that chat and I may choose to tell you something about it. Probably I'll only mention it if, it, if it's a resounding no, because that's much funnier, isn't it? What's the point? No one cares about anyone else. No, <laughs> I was going to say anyone else's mental health. And I thought, let's just get out of that. Like Carrie Marx's incredible opening line. Sorry about my dishevelled appearance. I've just given up. Ah, ah what a joke. Um... No one cares about anyone else, <laughs> apart from me caring about you. Um, but my point is simply that um, I should, uh, let's let's assume I'm not going to mention it. And let's assume if I do mention it, it will be because it turns out I haven't got it. Oh, it's all meaningless anyway. Even It's not like you change as a result of a diagnosis, is it? It's just that um, you just understand yourself a little better. And that will certainly happen... I mean, that that's going to happen anyway, isn't it? If it's a resounding no, then I will understand myself a little better. I'll go, oh, I am just a twat. Oh, well, that's good then. At least I know. I don't know that there's any benefit to knowing anyway, other than I'm hoping to be absolutely insufferable um, when bringing it up with my wife as a bit uh, every time she rolls her eyes at me saying I'll do something and then failing to, having, having immediately forgotten it for the rest of our lives. <laughs> so really, I'm having this meeting for her. That's all for now, I think. I'm looking forward to this Craig Robinson thing, even if you're not a fan of um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I am, but I, 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 I'm I, not one of those, like, I don't watch every episode sort of thing. 
I can see myself getting into it. Andy Samberg, who's one of my comedy heroes from his work with The Lonely Island. Um, uh, he's very, very funny. Loads of great funny stuff on it. But even if you don't have time for it, just look up. There's a couple of YouTube videos which are called Along the Lines of the best of the Pontiac Bandit. And you can see Craig Robinson's character develop with Andy Samberg's character. And uh, it is, it's a thing of great beauty. So I can't wait for that. If you are in London, 4th of March, come and uh, join in. And also, very excitingly, the 4th of March will be the first time I, if all goes according to plan, the first time I ever meet uh, Callum, producer Callum of the Infinite Sofa fame. Um, we have now been working together, uh, sort of on and off, but sometimes quite intently, remotely, for three years and we've never met. So I get to meet Callum. Um, I'm hoping he's really tall and uh, and I can have a repeat of uh, the David Hall moment where I was like, holy shit, you're tall. So, uh, well, or, or even better, maybe Callum will be tiny and just very close to the camera. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.